Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. going to take a break until January from the book of Acts, and then we will come back around to it. But what we want to do is we want to almost fast forward, because a couple weeks ago when Travis was in Acts chapter 8, what we, what we saw was a movement of the church in Jerusalem outward which was what Jesus said, that those believers waiting in Jerusalem should be doing, is going from Jerusalem out to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the world. And what we see, part of the catalyst for the Jerusalem church moving outward from Jerusalem is persecution. We have walked through the passage where Stephen is is executed, stoned, because of his faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and we see Philip going and, and speaking to the Ethiopian eunuch who takes the gospel back to Africa. And so basically, 1 Peter is a letter written to churches that are scattered and far from Jerusalem to encourage them and remind them how you live and who they are, no matter slave or free, rich or poor, but that they are God's redeemed people and that their identity is not something they need to strive to achieve but it is who they are at that moment and how they can live out the realities of being the priesthood of believers even in a world that is uninterested and at worst antagonistic against the message that they bring. See, it's interesting because um, today there's a lot of talk about identity, isn't there? Um, I remember growing up, there was some talk about identity. In fact, I think that the, the thing then was that I, you know, you could probably regularly hear of people going on trips into the, back into nature to find themselves. Any of you remember that? <laughs> Today, everything is identity. Everything is about what your identity is. We have identity politics. We have, we have people choosing their identity we have all kinds of things going on today. So identity is this, this focal point in our culture. It's interesting because in Jewish culture that we see in the Old and the New Testament, there wasn't one, there really wasn't, finding your identity wasn't a thing. <laughs> because in Jewish culture, every young man and woman, every child received their identity from the community. Their identity was part 
of their history and their tradition. Their identity was uh, a people called and chosen. Their identity was determined by the community for the benefit and the flourishing of the community. So there was, there, was no, there was no Jewish boys or girls going out to find their identity or proclaiming their own identity. There was no Jewish men and women who were saying, well, this is who I am now versus who I was. And, and, so, and so it's interesting that, 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 that in Jewish culture, that's, that was kind of the thing. But the problem for us, especially here today in the West, is that uh, identity is kind of a game we play to get what we want. But here's the thing. The Bible is abundantly clear about who we are. The Bible is overwhelmingly clear about our identity. <laughs> and it begins with every single person who's born. They begin with the identity of that they are an imager of the one and only God of the universe. That's where we start. That's where we begin. And, and, and God helps us understand that moving out from there. And so this morning, we're just gonna look through a few verses. A few verses, the kind of the couple verses that Peter introduces his letter and a couple verses that he ends his letter with. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter one. And I wanna read, I wanna read the first couple verses. And then I'm gonna read the, the last couple verses in chapter five. So 1 Peter one, Peter writes this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Those are all actually today in modern day Turkey. Interestingly that there was churches, flourishing churches in all of those locations in what's now Turkey and what does Turkey look like today? Something happened, something changed, didn't it? But he writes to these churches and it says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And then in chapter five, the last few verses, starting in verse 12, he gives his final greetings and he says this. He says, by Silvanus, or we know him as Silas, who traveled with Paul on some missionary journeys. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. What, what he, this brief writing between what I just read and what I'm reading now, that stuff in between, he says, this is be assured that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another. 
with a kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. And so I want, I want to just focus this morning on, on, on the fact that if you are in Christ, if you have received Christ for salvation, then you, your identity is that you are chosen. That you are chosen. And that means something. That changes a number of things legitimately for you. And so here Peter, the apostle Peter writes and he says, he says, I write Peter writing to you as an apostle of Jesus Christ, using that term apostle in the big capital A apostle uh, type definition that Peter was with Jesus during his earthly ministry. He walked with him, he talked with him, and, and he was sent out by Jesus. And so his apostle sent out who was with and part of the ministry of Jesus. That's what he's referring to himself to as. Not just simply a disciple or not just someone who has an apostolic gifting one who is sent and goes to places maybe similar to a missionary or one who administrates in the new workings of, of what God does around the world. But, but, but he is an apostle, one of the 12 who walked with Jesus. And so along with that comes some degree of authority and experience as he writes this letter to these churches. And so he says, he says I write, he's writing to the church, which when Peter uses the word, when, when he, he talks about the church, when he talks about those in the church that, that he's writing to, because he says to those who are elect, and, and probably a better word for us because elect has lots of, it can easily be misunderstood, but, but really what he's saying is to those chosen, to those chosen. Very similar to, to Israel was chosen by God to be a light to the nations, to be God's own treasured possession. He says to those chosen or elect, but also a term that describes their station presently. He says those chosen exiles. Those who are chosen, the church of Jesus Christ, those who are chosen, who are dispersed all over. These are, these are a lot of Gentiles that Peter is writing to, those who've been grafted into the kingdom of God. And, and, so, and so basically what's interesting about this, these are those who are chosen and they are exiles, they are dispersed all over. These are people who are united by the worship and the kingship of Jesus no matter where they live. So it doesn't matter where they live. It doesn't matter if they live in Modesto. It doesn't matter if they live in Turlock. It doesn't matter if they live across the country or across the globe. That these people are united by their worship and the kingship of Jesus. In fact, the people that, that Peter's writing to were most likely, some of them, at least the ones who maybe started these churches in these different areas, were probably present in Jerusalem at Pentecost. And they, they went home then to, their, to, to the places where they lived and they started being witnesses of Jesus Christ 
and gatherings started in their, in their homes. And they continued to witness what they saw at Pentecost. And they carried the message of Jesus and the gospel to their places and, and gatherings and churches emerged in those places. And so there is a unity of the whole church throughout the world, regardless of the language spoken or cultures lived, lived in because of our identity, because we are chosen by God. And, 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 so, and so what's interesting is the message that Peter starts with here to encourage the church is that he starts with this whole idea and concept that they are chosen. The definitive description of the recipients of this letter is that they are chosen for the work of Jesus Christ until he returns. That is their defining characteristic. Our defining characteristic is this, that we are chosen by God for the work of joining with Jesus to obey Jesus until he returns. That is our that is who we are. That is our identity. We are Jesus followers. We are Christians. We are those who've surrendered our lives and agenda to Jesus to obey and to follow through with what he called us to do. And so, again, he calls them exiles or strangers or foreigners. And, and here's what we need to understand is they're not necessarily strangers on earth because the earth was created for us. But then sin came in. And one day God will renew and create a new heaven and a new earth and we will live there. So really what we are exiles from is this current environment that has fallen, broken and sinful. The cultures and the systems that, that govern us and the ways of being and the ways of doing are in conflict with God's kingdom right now. And so we, that is strange to us, or it should be. <laughs> Anytime the world's systems and the world ways feels normal to us, it means we're out of step with the spirit. Because the world's system and the world's ways should always feel strange to us if we're walking with the spirit. Because the only way those things can feel normal is if we're walking out of step with God's spirit. And, and so we have in Christ and in our transformation, we have wholly different desires than the desires of the natural world. We are very realistically a kingdom of God's people. So that's, that's what Peter's beginning to tell them in the very beginning, in the, in the very get-go of this letter, out the gate. And so then he goes, and this is, what, this is what's incredible. And, and these, are, these are big, kind of big theological terms, doctrine terms. But let's not get caught up in some of the theological debates. Let's just accept what Peter is saying here about our identity and how we are chosen. Because you see, we are a chosen people and that defines our identity. And so I want you to, I want you to see what Peter writes here. He says that the, to those who are chosen, and how are we chosen? According to three things, the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit 
for obedience to Jesus Christ. Three things. Three things that actually are pretty simple when we break them down. How are we chosen? First, we are chosen by God's foreknowledge. Now, this might, depending on your background and your theological persuasion, this may bring up a question in your mind to say, so what are we saying here? Are we saying that I chose Jesus or Jesus chose me? The Bible says both. You have to ignore scripture to just land on one. So I I don't have the intelligence nor wisdom or discernment to figure that all out. But what I can tell you is this, that God foreknew what he would do in this world and how he would do it. And he's going to get it done. You see, let's not take God's foreknowledge in this context in a causal context, but in a confidence and connection context. And here's what I mean by that. Is that because of God's foreknowledge, God knew that you would be here today in this room. God knew that you would be inhabiting the position that you are in today with the influence that you have today, whether you like it or not. God foreknew that And frankly, it's part of his plan and it's part of his purpose. And so here's what you can know today in God's foreknowledge. You can have confidence that you are God's choice for what you are doing right now. You can have confidence that you are in the right place and that you are not a mistake. How often are we in a place that we say, I don't think I'm ready for this. I don't think... I'm cut out for this. I, don't, I can't imagine that God really wants me to do this. Someone else should do this. I want you to know something right now that because of God's foreknowledge, he knew you'd be in that place at that moment. You're where he wants you. And you just have to be available for him to use you. Education is great, experience is great. But none of that is nearly as good as the power of the Holy Spirit working through one who is surrendered and available to be used. The connection part is that in God's foreknowledge, we are chosen and we are connected to all of God's people. Just like Israel was chosen If you go to the Old Testament and and look and see, why was Israel chosen? Because they were a great nation? No. Because they were more obedient than other nations? That's for sure not true. (laughs) The other nations didn't have the benefit and privilege of having God's truth right before them. Sometimes it looks like in the Old Testament, other nations obeyed God better than Israel. (laughs) So they weren't expressly willing to obey God or lay their their agendas down. You look through the Old Testament, you see that God chose Israel not because they were special or better, but because he simply loved them. God has chosen us in his foreknowledge simply because he loves us. So not only can you have confidence that you're where you need to be at this moment because God put you there in his foreknowledge, but God also loved you in his foreknowledge. What that means is, 
that he knows how frustrating you can be. <laughs> and he still loves you. And he continues to love you. And he's chosen you, not because you're super lovable, although some of us are more lovable than others. But he chose you because he simply loves you. And so we're chosen by God's foreknowledge. And that gives us confidence because we didn't decide to do what we're doing. God has laid that out for us and we just have to walk with him in that. The second thing it says, it says by the sanctification of the spirit. Sanctification is, you know, one of those words that sometimes we struggle with, but there's, there's two primary types of sanctification that are present in, in scripture. And one is a practical sanctification. And what I mean by that is it is how we become like Jesus. Practical sanctification is how I become more like Jesus, how you become more like Jesus. Positional sanctification is the idea that we are set apart or we are dedicated to something specific. That's positional sanctification. And in this in this letter that Peter writes, he's speaking of positional sanctification. Now, he of course believes in becoming like Jesus, but right here, as he's talking about our chosenness, he, when he says the sanctification of the Spirit, he's saying that the Spirit has sanctified us or set us apart or dedicated us to something specific. We're set apart or dedicated by the indwelling and always present spirit for something that has been planned. We sanctify things all the time, don't we? We set things apart for a specific purpose. I sanctify food all the time in my house because I go buy something that I don't want eaten and so I set it apart. It's also called hiding. I don't know if any of you do this in your house, but I sanctify these things all the time. Sometimes it's, a, it's, it's something, it's like, it, sometimes it's something in the refrigerator that I hide behind other things. But God has hidden us. He set us apart. He's saved us for something special. That's what sanctification of the spirit is. And, and, so, and so in other words, what this means that I am chosen and that I am not my own or free to follow my heart or pursue my dreams I've been set apart for something special by God who foreknew what he was going to call me to do. And so then we can think, okay, well, what is that that we have been set apart for? What have we been uniquely taken out and set aside to do? Well, it's actually easy and hard because it says, for obedience to Jesus Christ. We are set apart by God's foreknowledge to obey Jesus. That is the simplest form of the gospel. <laughs> we are chosen. We are, by God's foreknowledge, set apart so that we can obey Jesus. So our primary directive in life is to obey Jesus, period. That is it. If it's obeying Jesus, it's what I need to be doing. If it's anything else, if it can correlate with obeying Jesus, then go for it. 
If it's not obeying Jesus, then get, get off that train. <laughs> so, so it's interesting, what really is obedience to Jesus? Here's, here's, here's what I would say is the simplest form of obeying Jesus. And every single person can do it. The simplest form of obedience to Jesus is making disciples. Jesus says to his disciples as he, as he ascends into heaven, he says, he says, I want you to make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Making disciples is simply being a witness to Jesus Christ, telling people what Jesus has done and asking them to join you in your pursuit of Jesus. Simplest form of obedience to Jesus is making disciples. I am coming to a conclusion. I don't know that anyone can be a disciple of Jesus without making disciples. I don't know that I agree with myself in this, but I, I think maybe somebody can have salvation but not be a disciple. I don't know if that's true. But if I'm not making disciples, then I'm not a disciple because that is what a disciple does. And so if I'm not making disciples, I might need to relook at my life's priorities and I might need to wonder if I even know Jesus. But that's something maybe between you and the Holy Spirit to figure out. And, and so, so our chosenness exists on three levels. It is by God the Father's foreknowledge that he would sanctify us, set us apart through the Holy Spirit and that we would obey Jesus. God does most of that, doesn't he? We just have to surrender and obey. That's all we have to do. Be obedient. And then it says this, which we'll come back to this because this is actually pretty awesome. It says, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. That sprinkling with his blood, you know, brings to us images of the crucifixion of Jesus. But there's something really significant in that statement that Peter makes. And we'll come back to that at the end. And so jumping to the, to the last part of, of the letter, he says, Silvanus is with me and he's basically penning this letter that I'm writing. And then he mentions Mark, who everyone knows, because he went on a trip with Paul and it didn't go so well, but he was still a pretty, pretty significant part of the early church. In fact, the gospel of Mark was, is known to be written by Mark and Peter was the source for what Mark writes. Interesting that both Silas and Mark were connected not just to Peter, but to Paul. So they kind of had all the big connections in the early church, didn't they? But here's what's interesting. Peter is, is not writing or living in isolation. He's writing and living in community. He and Silas are writing right now. He's telling Silas what to write. And I can imagine that Silas is, is as he's writing, he's probably conversing with Peter and saying, wow, like 
Talk more about that. All moved by the Holy Spirit in that moment. He says, and he says, Mark greets you as well. Mark, who's in community with me here. And, and so what's interesting is that, is that Peter is in this Jesus community of people. He's, he's, not, he's not on his own. He's not like a hero running around for the kingdom by himself. He's within the context of community with others. It's interesting in, 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 in his closing, he says, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. Babylon is that kind of term that is reflective of the earthly empires, the empires of man. And he says those in Babylon, in fact, referring at this point to Rome and the Roman empire specifically, he says, those in Babylon greet you who are likewise chosen. The same way that he described at the beginning of this letter, he now comes back to and he says, they are likewise chosen just like you. Here's what, here's what Peter says here, is that no matter your location, if you're in the center of power or the middle of nowhere, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your economics, we are all chosen in the same way to the same extent having the same confidence. No matter where you grew up, you're still chosen by the foreknowledge of God, the sanctification of the Spirit to obey Jesus. And then I love what he says. He says, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Because you see, they are, as we will see as we walk through the, this letter to, the, to, to these churches, they are suffering and being shamed for their witness of the gospel of Jesus. And Peter says, even though you're suffering and being shamed, know that this is God's will and his truth. Stand firm, persevere, be resilient, endure. This is the call of Jesus to faithfulness to every follower of Jesus, to stand firm. You know, we don't have to win the culture war. We just have to stand firm in the truth. Jesus cares about our faithfulness. And through that, he will move things that seem like they can't be moved. Then he says this, which I, which I love. He says at the end of his letter, he says, greet one another with a kiss of love. He's using family greeting context here. Greet one another with a kiss of love, which would equate to family. He says, basically, make sure you treat and recognize one another as family because you are. Don't draw lines or divisions between each other who've been chosen by the foreknowledge of God, the sanctification by the Spirit and the obedience to Jesus Christ. Don't draw lines between each other. Love each other as family because you're family. Greet one another that way. And, and, so, and so the reality is this, that you and I, you sitting here today, if you know Jesus as your savior, you are, you, are, you are identified by this. This is your identity. You are chosen by God, by his foreknowledge and sanctification. And you're called to obedience to Jesus Christ. So Peter says this when he says, obedience to Jesus Christ sprinkled with his blood. That actually takes us back 
to a passage in Exodus where Moses leads the people of Israel to Mount Sinai. It's after God has delivered them from Egypt, taken them over the Red Sea, parted the Red Sea, done all these crazy things, and they arrive at Mount Sinai for God to speak to them and for God to initiate his, his, his covenant with, with Israel, the Mosaic covenant, the covenant that God makes with his people. And in, 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 in Exodus 24, verses seven and eight, I want, you to hear, I want you to hear this. It says, then he, Moses, took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, listen to what they say. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. Does that remind you of anything we just read? That we are set apart to be obedient? And then in verse eight, it says, and Moses took the blood because what he did was he had the Israelites, they brought all of these animals as sacrifices and they sacrificed them to God at, at the base of Mount Sinai. And so they had all of this. And so it says, Moses took the blood and threw it on the people. He took blood and threw it on, on the gathering, the people. And it says, and he says, he said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Peter says, to obey Jesus, sprinkled with blood. That's a direct reference to Exodus 24, where Moses, the people said, we will obey God's word. And Moses threw blood on them. <laughs> Peter says, you've been chosen by the foreknowledge of God, set aside by the Holy Spirit, and you are called to be obedient to Jesus by the sprinkling of his blood, by his death on the cross, because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And so what's interesting about this, I think, is that then in Exodus chapter 25, after we see this covenant commitment, God instructs Moses. Moses goes with 72 elders of Israel and God goes up further onto the mountain and then God gives Moses the details of the tabernacle and the development of the priestly line. One of the things that is interesting about that is that in the in the temple or in the tabernacle, there is this thing called the bread of presence. It's 12 loaves that was made fresh weekly and placed in the temple. And it signified the 12 tribes of Israel. And what's interesting is no one could eat the bread of the presence because it signified God's very presence, his with them in whether it was the wilderness or his presence in Israel and Jerusalem. In fact, there's, there's a passage in the Old Testament where David, on his, when he's running from Saul, King Saul, he and his men are, are just almost starving and they eat the bread of the presence from the temple. And there's this uproar. 
Like technically not even David could do that because he wasn't, he wasn't a priest. And so, but what happened was at the end of the week, the priests in the temple or the tabernacle, they would celebrate in a feast together and they would eat the bread of the presence at the end of each week. Only the priest could do that. Only if you were a priest in God's house could you eat the bread of presence. Here's what's interesting and here's what I want you to catch because Peter develops this in this letter and I want us to catch this right off the bat. I had two options for this morning and I was talking to Ben Pratt about it and I said, okay, I think we can end this service on Sunday and I can either throw blood on everyone or we can do communion. And he was like, I think we should do communion. Ryan Chase was like, can we just have a bucket of blood ready in case you change your mind? (laughs) We're gonna do communion this morning. And here's what I want you to catch. When we take the bread, when Jesus took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. It was directly linked to the bread of presence from the temple and the Old Testament. And this is what you need to understand about our chosenness and your identity. You are invited to partake of communion if you've surrendered your life to Jesus. And the fact that Jesus invites you to partake of communion means that you are a priest in the house of God. Only the priests could partake of the bread of presence. And only priests today can participate in communion. Except there's not a priestly line anymore. Every one of us who knows Jesus as Savior and King is a priest. Peter calls it a royal priesthood. That is our identity. So this morning, as we participate in communion. Communion is about the presence of Jesus literally with us. It is about remembering his sacrifice. But participating in communion is an identifier of the one taking it that he or she is a priest in the kingdom of God. You are chosen by God's foreknowledge, set apart by his spirit for obedience to Jesus. And so I want to invite the worship team back up here. And we're going to take communion and we're gonna close in singing together. And I want us to understand something regardless of age or ethnicity, economics, or location. Those who come to Christ are chosen and they are a priesthood. Those here on the stage are priests.
in God's kingdom. All of you know Christ as Savior, are priests in God's kingdom. We need to remember our identity. And so Jesus, when he was with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body poured out for you. I want us to take the bread and eat it together now. As priests. And then Jesus took the cup and he raised it up and he said, this is my blood that was shed for you. He said, take and drink it and remember what I've done. So let's drink this together. Let's not dump it on your neighbor. Although that wouldn't be entirely unbiblical. <laughs> Jesus, I pray this morning that we would take seriously our identity. That however you do it, however it works, I don't even care. But Father, that your foreknowledge, you knew what you wanted from me. You knew what you wanted from us. And you knew how you would use us. So thank you for setting us aside by the Spirit to obey Jesus, to make disciples that we are a priesthood, not divided in professionals and laity, but we are one priesthood, obedient to Jesus Christ. So God, remind us this morning. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.